Hello and welcome to the new Pedagodzilla On Tour podcast feed. You join us now for our mini-series recorded at Playful Learning 2023 on fabulous formative failures and the Danish movement Pissedaleg Undervisning, or Piss Poor Teaching. If you want to listen to our other content of understanding pedagogic theories through the lens of pop culture, then head on over to pedagodzilla.com where you can find our entire back catalogue of episodes and subscribe to this and our main podcast feed. And over now to Playful Learning 2023 and our discussions on fabulous formative failures and piss-poor teaching. And here they come! I'm so sorry, I, just, I, I love these buttons so much. Just, just because you can doesn't mean just, you should. Well, <laughs> hello and welcome to the Pedagodzilla podcast live and on location at the Playful Learning Conference. I am, as ever, your host, Mike Collins, Senior Learning Designer at the Open University in Boston Syndrome Incarnate, and a man with a microphone. And I am joined across the table by... Roger Saunders. I'm an Associate Professor from the Montfort University, um, third time now at the Playful Learning Conference. And uh, I teach marketing and advertising, but really my interest is in all things uh, playful learning and gamification-wise. So what actually brings you to Playful Learning? Um, well, uh, I, I can't even remember how I found out about the association to begin with, but I attended one that was online, um, and there was a couple of games there that uh, were quite interesting. I'm a, I'm a bit of a game board uh, card game fanatic anyway. Um, and then uh, the following year, so last year when it uh, was actually done in person, um, it's in Leicester. I work at the Montfort, which is about two miles away. I actually live about 65 miles away, but I'm used to the commute. And... It was one of those things, I've only ever attended one conference before that was anything like this, where essentially you've got almost micro-teaching sessions rather than just somebody standing up at the front and telling you about something. And that practicality um, is really one of the things that appealed to me. And for about 20-odd years, following um, doing some work with, uh, well, originally it started with Roller Coaster Tycoon, which is quite an old game that I used to play on the PC. A legendary game. Yeah, well, uh, what I'd always wanted to do was create a marketing board game. Um, but, you know, every, everything gets in the way, so you never quite do that. And then last year I was so inspired uh, by some of the stuff that went on here, most of which, or a lot of which, I was then able to take directly into my own teaching. I thought, no, now is the time to do it. So I created a board game uh, last year, and uh, I've done quite a few other things uh, since then, and some of it has been working with colleagues as well as developing stuff for myself. Including... A podcast. <laughs> Including a podcast. Well, the podcast has been going for a couple of years now. Funnily enough, that's a combination of two things. So personally, I had quite a good pandemic um, in the sense that I had no problem with uh, doing stuff online. The biggest drawback I found is that I do a lot of practical stuff. So we're, we're physically using artifact in the classroom, and, and that was really difficult not to be able to do online. But actually, in terms of getting students to respond, participate, um, engage... Um, and then really, I guess, the, the stuff for me personally that, that was most positive about it was that as everything went online and people were very aware of the isolation, suddenly lots of stuff became available. So people were running webinars, seminars, and of course it was all free because there was no booking rooms or accommodation or lunches or whatever. Um, and it just felt like actually there was more communication and connection with people and I kind of wanted that to continue after things got better, shall we say. And 
partly because of my long commute, I listen to a lot of podcasts. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's actually quite a good way of lining the two things up because it gives me an excuse to sort of randomly approach people and say, would you like to do something? But it also means that I continue to talk to new people from all over the country. In fact, in some cases, all over the world, we've got a couple of people who've contributed from Australia. Um, and 80% of the time, somebody will say something and I'll think, oh, God, yeah, you know, I, I could use that or I could do that. Or if I'm not, then it's something that I'll pass on to other people. That's right. And also, just to, I mean, the, the randomly grabbing people to, uh, to talk to is literally what happened uh, to Roger all of, uh, all of five minutes ago. <laughs> so, yeah, that's fine. And, 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 and as you can tell from his experience, um, podcastering, just straight into it. Yeah, it's, uh, well, it's uh, an interesting thing. I've done quite a lot of performance stuff before, some stage acting, uh, a few short films, and I did um, stand-up comedy for a while, though that was absolutely hideous. Um, so it's one of those things I'd always wanted to do, did, and realised, yeah, that's not for me. Um, but uh, in fact, actually, the only negative I guess I've experienced in doing the podcast is having to spend time editing 50% of the times when I go, uh, and I had never realised until I listened back to myself just how much I do that. Top tip, you can automate some of that. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, if you use uh, this isn't this isn't sponsored, but Isotope uh, RX audio cleaning software has a find similar function. You can find one uh of your distinct voice pattern in there. Use a find similar and then give it a kind of like a fifty to sixty percent match thing, and it will find every other isolated uh you've got. Oh, that, and that then would, you can just delete them. That that would be brilliant. At the moment, I'm using uh, Audition, which is an Adobe Creative. Cloud. Love, I love Adobe Audition. Um, and I have to say, <laughs> I have now become an expert in spotting the the, the sine distinctive waveform wave yeah, that represents an, um, my yep. uhs. Yep. Yep. Um, Anyway, sorry, I've, I've dragged us off into podcasting no, okay. land. So we are having a little uh, Playful Learning Festival of Failure uh, where we are asking people about their fabulous, formative uh, fluffs, fuck-ups and failures um, and what you can draw from them into um, formative education. So what has been your most fabulous formative failure? I suppose, in a way, it's the thing I alluded to earlier that I finally got around to designing a board game um, and despite having attended a course that said, if you're going to create some kind of game, the best thing is to just pinch mechanics from somewhere else because it's really the mechanics that, that have the greatest impact. So it needs to be difficult enough to be interesting, but simple enough that people can pick it up fairly quickly and, and, then, and then play with it. Um, so I created a marketing board game and it's kind of a... It's a little bit like Monopoly in that you move a counter around the edge of a board according to a dice roll, um, but then you're also trying to collect certain sets of cards um, uh, for those to then allow you to achieve something, which in this case was creating a business. Um, and so I introduced this with the first-year students in the year just gone. And uh, whilst I think they quite enjoyed it as a kind of introduction to the, uh, the subject... Um, it really didn't work very well. And part of that was actually down to the fact that um, I wanted there to be some numbers involved. And, uh, and consequently, one of the things that they had was a post-it note and a pencil, and they had to write numbers down. And the numbers kept changing because the business was either worth more or less money. Um, and there was real money involved as well. That was, that was one of the other things. There's a, a, a game called Polyconomy, um, which has money from 10,000 to 1 million which I thought the students would have more fun with than something like Monopoly, which only goes from a pound to 500. Um, but that was the bit that put them off. So I needed to find an easier way for them to 
to gauge the success of their their business. So it was great. It wasn't actually the first time I'd run through it, but it was really the first proper beatering of the game. And as a game, it did not work well. But from a, a kind of formative point of view, number one, I could then see what some of the difficulties were. So I'm going to retweak it, but I'm actually going to play it with my eldest stepdaughter, who's also a big game fan. Um, but off the back of that, it then actually made me think, no, you know what, I do need to basically do what I'd been advised, which was pinch the mechanics from something. So um, I've now created a card game. It's a debt building game, which follows very similar principles in terms of what it covers. Um, but that I have properly played through with a couple of people now, and it seems to work okay. So that's what the first years will be doing from next year. So, I mean, you described it as a failure. I mean, it sounds almost like a, almost like a progression, really, of an idea. But where do you see failure sitting alongside learning and learning through play? Well, I think it's essential. Um, so uh, learning by doing and learning by failing, I think, are usually interrelated. And uh, so what I want for my students is for them to be able to do something for it not to be very successful, for them to reflect on why um, and then have another go at it. So there's a game uh, that we play that involves stickle bricks and they're having to create a product using, um, we describe it as a supply chain, but in essence it's a, it's a version of a um, uh, Henry Ford production process. Mm. Um, so you have somebody who controls the, the resources and then you have somebody who's checking quality at the end and then the other people are involved in a process in, in the middle. And that's always done with um, at least three iterations because the first time they do it, they're really pleased with themselves. They, they think they've done what they needed to do because they're given fairly basic instructions. Then they realize actually they didn't do that. So they, they're able to have another go. And as I've actually experienced this as a participant, I know that for a lot of people, there then becomes this really competitive element because they desperately want to do better. And then the second time around, they do it and they're slightly better, but they still realize they've made some mistakes. And then third time around, normally we say to them, okay, you can change any of the rules you want to make it better. Um, and before I do any of those things, uh, I relate them a story, which is to do with me and DIY. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm actually quite competent at a few things that are DIY related. The reason why I'm competent is because uh, I quite like doing things with my hands. So if, if there's something which needs to be done, I will do it. And usually the first time I do it, I do it really badly. Um, sometimes to the point where we actually have to pay for someone to come in and, and do it or repair the thing that I did uh, badly. Um, but usually it's not quite so extreme. But what you do is you do something and you realise, ah, oh, that hasn't worked. Ah, oh, I should have. So then when you do it again, you come armed with that knowledge. And whilst, you know, for a lot of things, you can probably just look up a, a YouTube video to be honest, watching someone do something is never the same as doing it for yourself and handling the materials or the tools or whatever. Um, and so I'm a big fan of, of that opportunity to do something in a safe environment in the knowledge that uh, failure is a good thing because, um, or can be a good thing, if you then reflect, because I think it's easier sometimes to see, ah, yeah, I should have done that, rather than perhaps you know be told that in advance. I mean, I know... You know, the internet is is full of life hacks and, and DIY hacks and all the rest of it. But I think sometimes it's it's more interesting and more satisfying and maybe more memorable to do something, do it badly, reflect, think, okay, if I did it that way, 
that would be better and then get a chance to do it again. I mean, I absolutely love that. So failure as a essential component for getting better because you can't get better without acknowledging failure and you can't get better from that failure without reflecting on it. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, number one, expecting to get something right first time every time is pretty unrealistic. Uh, number two, I think the, the idea of the term failure uh, is a very negative one. But actually, as long as it's a safe environment, obviously, if I'm responsible for someone's life, failure is probably something you yeah, want to pr- avoid. Probably like DIY on the gas boiler. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, there's certain things I won't touch and gas and electricity, <laughs> probably two of them. I'm, I'm not that keen on water, but I, there, there are certain basic plumbing things that I, I will do. Um, but I think certainly for the students I teach, because we're, you know, we're, we're teaching marketing and advertising and, and it, it, it can be quite an abstract, well, no, it isn't an abstract thing. It's a, it's a removed thing because we can't actually allow them to run their own business, but we can allow them to do something very similar. Um, and I think the, the playful thing, again, for me, one of the really big and important things, I guess, is making things tactile. So as much as possible, what I do involves stuff that you can touch, move, build, um, because I just think that it's more involving, it's more engaging. I, did, I was saying to somebody earlier that even if I was doing something like a multiple choice test, I've got four sheets of A4 that are laminated with A, B, C, D on, and I pin them up around the room. So when the students are working together in their groups and they think they've got the answer, one person has to actually physically get up and move across the room. And from the other group's perspective, of course, they can then see that and think, oh, he's gone to it. Oh, I'm not sure about... And it almost increases the, the debate as well. So, I, I, yeah, I'm a big fan of it being about physically doing stuff as opposed to just mentally doing it. So, I mean, if anything, you've, almost, you've basically answered what might well be my final question, which would be, what's your top tip to educators? Is it make it tactile? Probably, yes. Um, or at least make it sensory. So the first premise I started with was, well, we've got, let's say, five senses. Um, can I actually do something which appeals to all of them rather than... Because um, I know your alternative question was talk about things that just don't work. And, you know, PowerPoint is the easiest way <laughs> to just turn off any students, especially because I, I know from presentations I've attended and, and ones that students have talked to me about, the first thing they'll do is look bottom left how many slides have you got in this show? <laughs> and where are we? So if after an hour you're on slide four and you've got, you know, 20, 30 odd to oh. show them, they're, they're just weeping. Well, they don't weep at all. They're on their phones because, you know, why wouldn't you be? So I guess having, having started, when I first started, you know, it was acetates and, and overhead projectors and gone through PowerPoint and the glitz and glamour of that and then some variations around that, we've moved to the point where I, it has to be interesting. It has to be involving and to be honest i think it has to be fun that's a wonderful thought to end on thank you so much roger it's yeah. been lovely talking to you uh, where can people find you online and do you have anything you want to plug uh they can find me online at roger.saunders at dmu.ac.uk and the podcast which is on spotify um is lnt chat show um and i don't have anything to plug other than I love talking to people and I love people sharing stuff. And uh, one of the great things about coming to a conference like this is the sense of community. That's a lovely one to end on. So thank you very much. We are the Pedagogzilla podcast. The crowd are applauding again just because you can doesn't mean you should, but I will. Um, we'll see you next time with Pedagogzilla. Bye-bye now.